I will start recording. Good, good, good. Sharing computer audio, recording is good. All right, here we go, intro coming in. For those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Martian Mellow. Nature foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist is it. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mellow. I love Canada. It's Martian Mellow. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Martian Mellow. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mellow. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mellow. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Welcome to Marsh and Mellow. It is Friday, June 25th, 2021. I can't believe it's June. I can't believe it's June 25th. <laughs> and I can't believe it's 2021. Now, none of that date actually feels like it is correct yeah. in any way, shape, or form. As Kyle Mello at Kyle underscore Mello underscore joins me here at TSN underscore Marsh. As always, to uh, spray a little ray of sunshine, hopefully, into your Fridays. What's going on, Kyle? Uh, nothing much. Uh, I'm with you on the on the date. It doesn't feel this late in the year um, as it is. Uh, my uh, my cousin uh, texted me, was it last week? And he's like, hey, we got the date for the family golf tournament, July 31st. And I'm like, <laughs> that's only a month away. I'm like, that's crazy. I feel yeah. like I just finished my family golf tournament like a month ago, and it's already next month. I, uh, I, we were supposed to do something with McMaster football on the 10 year anniversary of the Vanier cup championship of 2011, <laughs> uh, with a golf tournament. We were supposed to do this big shindig yeah. up, up at Flamborough Hills and go hang out with all of our friends there and see a bunch of guys that I haven't seen in like most of them. I mean, eight years, probably other than the odd guy that I would see at homecoming <laughs> when we would kind of, you know, get together, have Mike a beer. Daly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but like, there's some guys, you know, that were, we're still coming back to homecoming just yeah. on, on the off chance they would see a couple of people and you know you'd run into them in the beer tent or something like that but a lot of the time mac homecoming we would be on a ticats game day so uh, i wouldn't get a chance to really hang out with them all that much and uh, it would have been nice to do that but it, i mean that ended up basically getting not shut down but being pretty low key so yeah i'm with you man it's like when i heard that that date was july 3rd when we were back in march i'm like oh man that's gonna be great and then i'm like whoa that is coming up in like a week and a half or so here so uh the good news is of course for cfl fans it does mean that training camps are just around the corner long training camps we'll dive into some of that talk about some cfl retirements coming up for you as well because there's been a bunch of them throughout the week more of them coming down on thursday as we are taping this of course and uh we'll get into some more things on U sports as well as there's some really exciting news coming up about what's going to be happening with university football but first we gotta let you know of course about our friends at fox 40 helping you return to play safely with their latest innovations the fox 40 tri-layer whistle mask and the fox 40 electronic whistle for 15 percent off all your whistle needs you can visit fox40shop.com and make sure you enter the promo code cfp15 is the place to be able to go Again, fox40shop.com and enter the promo code CFP15. I will save the promo code and the information that you are going to want for Sawdust City Brewing coming up in just a little bit because Sam Corbet, the brewmaster and co-founder of Sawdust City Brewing, is going to join me coming up in just a little bit here on the show. And i tell you about lusciousness, hazelnut latte, imperial <laughs> milk stout. I'm terrified of it, Kyle. I haven't had it as of yet. 9.6% is what it says on the outside of the can. Uh, I trust me. I like my beers. I like my dark beers. I like my light beers. I like the high percentage beers. I like the low percentage beers, but, <laughs> but 9.6% uh, 
in a an imperial milk stout scares the hell out of me so what is it it's obviously beer coffee and hazelnut uh yeah so it's like roasted hazelnut huh. on the bed of coffee with the milk stout the hops are magnum and chinook the malt it says canadian two-row barley dark roast crystal rye munich two flaked barley carafa two chocolate malt dark chocolate Ooh. malt roasted barley and demerara sugar i don't know how to say that uh, and then, yeah, it's got vanilla in there. It's got coffee beans. It's got hazelnut extract. It's like, it is a loaded beer. So I'm excited to talk with him about that coming up in just a little bit. But uh, you are today rocking your Hamilton Hurricanes. I thought you would be in full Portuguese garb as Euro 2021 continues. Um, but no. you're, sh- you're shaking your head. No, what's wrong? Um, the group stage has been um, far from good. Uh, for the Portuguese national team. After the first game, I was losing my mind despite winning three, nothing against Hungary. It's like for 80 minutes, the team decided to just sit back and not push. And then Germany, they came out um, in a defensive tactic and played scared the entire game. And that's 100% on the manager. He changed things up for the last game against France, Um, Portugal. That was probably their best group game. So I would say Portugal's heading in the right direction. They're not there yet. Um, some things need to happen against Belgium. I'm talking about lineup changes mm-hmm. and then we can, uh, go from there, but yeah, I'm not rocking the, uh, to be honest after the Germany game, I had to play golf right after I took the Portuguese flag off the car. <laughs> oh no! I stuck it in the back seat and I still haven't put it back up. Not on purpose. I just forgot, so... but yeah, that was, uh, it was rough. I actually noticed uh, that after the Germany match, there were a lot less points because people that were listening to the show here last week, we had a deep discussion on the number of Portuguese flags in this city uh, that we live in in Hamilton. And of course, the number of just flag guys on the corners. Well, the flag guys have kind of disappeared. It feels like they've done all the business (laughs) they're going to do. Like they've kind of slowly dissipated, at least to my eye. And uh, (laughs) I don't have any analytics on the, uh, unfortunately, on the number of flag guys around town or their locales. Uh, but the Portuguese flags, there were visibly less of them the day after the Germany match. And I don't think that it was because less people of Portuguese descent were going to the grocery store. Uh, it felt as though <laughs> it was a lot of people doing what you did, which is that is not good enough. And I am in shame and I am taking this off of my car very quickly, <laughs> which is funny, too, because I saw about three Scottish flags around town in the first couple of weeks. And then immediately when they end up losing, who was it? Croatia. I think they lost to uh, the other day after that. Cause uh, after Germany, the, Germany yeah. was it Germany. So after they went nil, nil with England, uh, I'm talking about Scotland here when they oh, went Scotland. Yeah. When they went nil, nil with England, I was actually pumped. I'm like, I'll, I'll draw with the English all day. I don't give a yeah. damn. I'm like, that's great. That's fun. Uh, Cause it was a pretty wide open match back and forth. England had a lot of scoring chances, but Scotland was able to hold on and had a couple of chances of their own that were pretty quality. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I wasn't a hater on that, but then when Scotland ends up losing, I mean, I, it went from three Scottish flags in town to zero. I haven't seen one since. No, <laughs> so it, it um, happens pretty quickly. Yeah. The Scottish national team uh, is not, is not very good. I'll no. just say that um, <laughs> like the Scottish league. It, over the last 20 years, I would say it's had had its moments where it looks like it's getting a lot better, and then it just 
crumbles again. Like just look at Champions League uh, group stages. Um, like the Scottish champion doesn't even qualify for the group stage because yeah. they are they've been that poor. And there's coefficient rankings uh, in Europe, and it essentially ranks the leagues, not the countries but the leagues of those countries and the Scottish league, it just falls every single year. And I don't even know where it is now. It's definitely not in the top 10. So we're talking about like Slovakia with a better domestic league, Slovenia with a better domestic league. It's like, okay, now you're getting a rough territory for, and I know a lot of great Scottish people like yourself. And it pains me sometimes when I watch, the uh, Scottish football, the national team play against better countries because they don't have a shot. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's funny too because there aren't many people like Stephen Caldwell who are Scottish who wear it on their <laughs> yes. wear are wear it on their sleeve and like they live and breathe Scottish football. Yeah, I don't. I I, I am. I openly <laughs> admit I am cherry picking. I they made it into Euro and I was like, this is fun. Why not? I've never had a reason to really be involved or celebrate any of this stuff. And for me, because I went in knowing that we didn't have a chance to accomplish much of anything. It was completely opposite to you or my fiance, Marlene, who is also yeah. Portuguese descent, where you guys are balls of stress and freaking out and throwing things across the room and yelling at your TVs. We get scored on and I'm like, eh, chaos. Why not? <laughs> Let's I'm like, it's, it's such a stress-free environment. It's fun to be the person who is hunting and not being hunted. <laughs> You know what? Sometimes I'm, I'm jealous of those people that can watch like a national tournament, like the Euro Cup, and they cheer for their country, but they're not in it in it. And if they lose, they can completely take themselves out of the situation and they don't have like feelings about it. I'm like, I wish sometimes I was like that with all my teams, not just Portugal. But it's funny because on Father's Day, so Portugal played on the Saturday. On the Sunday, I went up to my mom's house uh, for Father's Day, and my sister was working when I got there. We're all eating outside on the patio on the deck, and my sister rolls up. I haven't seen my sister in probably like two weeks, three weeks. Her car has the Portuguese flag embedded in the hood. And she has everything, right? Two flags on the side, hood on, <laughs> like the, the hood covered in the flag. She gets out of the car and I'm like, wow, you really went all out on your car. And she's like, I'm surprised you don't have a flag. I'm like, I did. I took it down. And I'm like, why do you still have all that stuff on your car? And she's like, what, Portugal loses and I'm not Portuguese? Oh, I'm like, wow. that, that's a good point. But my sister shamed me. My 21-year-old sister <laughs> shamed me. <laughs> uh, yeah, she is. And I think a lot of people would probably side with her on that because, you know, you're supposed to be proud of your country no matter what. But I totally understand from a passionate sports fan perspective, as you are, Kyle, that you are not willing to accept a poor performance. No. Against, and, and, and albeit, Germany is a talented team, obviously, throughout history and this one as well. But... It, was, it wasn't so much the fact that they lost. It was how they lost. No? Like, th that Germany match, like, having you yeah. on, your, on your back foot the entire match, the way that they were, and just falling around in your own end with the ball. Like, it was, yeah. again, like, it, drawing nil-nil to England, was the, it felt like the biggest victory for Scotland's football program in 15 years. Yeah. Uh, just to draw them in a Euro. But... For you guys, the expectation is so much higher that you make mistakes in your own end like that. Yeah, like people that really, truly care about it and like the others I'm saying around town that the flags disappeared, you guys are going to punish them for that by drawing back your support a little bit. Yeah, and you know, you have to realize Portugal won this tournament four years ago. This team, this squad of players that the Portuguese national team has in 2021 is 
three, four, five times better than that team in 2016. The 2016 Portugal winning Euro Cup team is an anomaly. It will never happen again because that team was poor. Eder scored the game-winning goal for Portugal in extra time against France in the final. Eder is terrible. He is bad, outright bad. (laughs) The only reason why he made the Portuguese national team is because Portugal hasn't been able to produce a striker in decades. Pauletta was the last one, and Pauletta was the biggest tournament, big tournament failure ever. All his goals for Portugal, I don't know how much he had, 59 or 60 for for the Portuguese national team, none of them came at big-time tournaments. I think he had one in the World Cup one time in the first game, and then he never scored again. Like, that's how bad Portugal was in 2016. Their roster, and the reason why Portugal won was great individual performances. The goalkeeper was great, and the goalkeeper was great uh, against France the other day. And, you know, Pepe was, a you know, the defender of the tournament, and that's why Portugal won. But this team should be so much better. And the manager holds them back with this defensive style. And he thinks he has the same team that he did in 2016. And they should be playing a lot more open, a lot more fluid, and just overwhelming teams. And he decides not to. Yeah, yeah. Tr- definitely uh, a trouble to, uh, to watch comfortably, yeah, I would be, say. The comparison would be you could have Michael Riley as your quarterback and you only throw the ball six times a game. Uh, did you enjoy that when I tweeted that out? Where it, that's a real thing, by the way. So people- I didn't, yeah, I didn't see your tweet uh, okay. until after I saw the Don Landry tweet. And I responded to his tweet and I'm like, wait, Michael Riley and the Edmonton Elks? Yeah. Oh, this is going to take some time. Oh, yeah. It's going to wear on a lot of people, I think, to try and get used to it. But I got a note from the CFL saying, hey, just a heads up. The BC Lions have informed us that uh, Mike Riley would like to be referred to as Michael Riley going forward. And my thought was... Is this a troll thing? No. So my thought was, (laughs) does he want to be known as more mature? Because I'm like, he's had gray in his beard for about a decade. I'm like, I don't think this is trying to like grow up where you have uh you know a kid whose name is donnie and you tr- he grows up and he wants to be known as donald uh it's not one of those where he's trying to become more mature and more respected so yeah when i saw that it was michael i'm like that is going to really mess with a lot of people's <laughs> minds going forward here but power to him whatever he wants to do i genuinely i mean obviously we're going to get some sort of answer out of him um as to exactly why this is but to make that change, it, writing articles, I don't even, this is the funny thing too. In the tweet I sent out, I, I, I don't know why I always do this. I spelt Michael wrong because uh, I don't know how to spell Michael because I don't know how most people That's like That's my to spell middle it. name, so I know. Okay. So, but the A and the E, for some reason, my entire life, I've flopped around in different various ways, never really knowing what's correct or who likes to spell it what way. <laughs> uh, and I got called out for it on a tweet today where somebody said, uh, yeah, it's, you can call him Michael, but you should probably spell it correctly in, in your articles. I'm like, eh, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't really want to have to autocorrect, but I'm like, Oh, Mike was so much easier to spell. Come on. I know Michael <laughs> Riley. That's going to take uh, some time. It's funny because we always say Michael O'Connor. We yeah. never say Mike O'Connor. Yeah, it's true. But it's Michael O'Connor just rolls off the tongue. My brain, <laughs> my brain is just stuck with Mike Riley, like iron Mike Riley. What are we supposed to say now? Iron Michael. Like that doesn't feel right yeah. to say that. So do we know, by the way, if we should, uh, we should tweet, uh, Dane Evans's father is Dane, his actual name, or is it Daniel? 
Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Because Daniel. if it's Daniel Evans, I'm done. Uh, throwing my hands up. It's too much. It's too much in one offseason. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that are changing here, including the retirements, uh, which we will get to coming up in just a second. But first, Bradley Sinopoli. I want, <laughs> uh, I wanted to throw uh, one of these at you. We haven't done this in a long time, Kyle. I wanted to throw this at you before we get to break. Hey, girl, tell me what you're watching. Get, 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 Shout out to Sean Woodley, who's doing great work with CEBL. Make sure you subscribe to CEBL Plus, by the way, because he's doing uh, exclusive content over there. The CEBL season kicks off tonight uh, as we are taping this. I believe Ottawa was playing against uh, Niagara, if I'm not Saskatchewan. Oh, was it Saskatchewan? I, I don't know. I, I, I might be wrong on that. Yeah, I didn't get to see it. I was uh, washing the house from top to bottom for some reason today. I don't know why that was the thing I was doing. But anyway, uh, when I'm not cleaning the house, including uh, swabbing the decks and uh, making sure that I vacuum everything and uh, clean the garage, uh, I am watching Netflix occasionally. And I just wanted to give a shout out to a show that I watched this past week. I actually binged it pretty quickly. It was uh, only four episodes, but it was two nights back-to-back that I watched. I think I watched 3-1, then I finished it up uh, on the on the next night with the fourth episode. Uh, and it's, gentlemen, this is a robbery. Uh, I don't know if many people have stumbled into this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how popular it is, but you go into this story. It's a limited docuseries. You go into it knowing that at the end, it's going to be deeply unsatisfying because you never find out who actually ends up committing the robbery or you never find out where the stuff is that was stolen but the story of what happens here in gentlemen this is a robbery is fascinating so it was 1990 and it was saint patrick's day in boston and so you just got drunk people everywhere wandering around having a hell of a time and the police trying to keep everybody from getting too rowdy and all the rest and these two guys dressed up as police officers go to uh, a legendary uh, art museum and they end up getting in by buzzing and the security guard, which is like a stoned hippie guy, uh, lets them in. <laughs> and when they get inside, they're like, gentlemen, this is a robbery. And they take 13 essentially priceless pieces of artwork from Monet and Rembrandt and all these different classical pieces. They take them from different parts of the museum. And then the art disappears and the people who robbed the place disappear. And the value is it's 13 pieces. And they say that it's like over $10 million worth of artwork. Um, that's without adjusting for inflation that obviously now is much, much higher since 1990. And uh, it just basically takes you through like these different mafia families and how art heists happened in the nineties because the value of art was going up and it leads you to all these random fun characters. It's like tiger King, but for art thieves uh, is basically what this show is in four quick episodes. And, uh, I highly recommend it. Check it out if you want. It's pre- pretty interesting. I thought it was fun, so I wanted to throw that in and give a quick shout-out. Have you watched anything in the last of the while here, Kyle? Because I know we haven't done much of what you're watching. I haven't. I, me and my girlfriend have decided to watch uh, Below Deck. It's uh, essentially a show. I've talked about it before on the show. Um, it's essentially a show where a bunch of young people work on a charter yacht, super like bougie charter yacht that it's a ton of money to like rent out for a weekend. And it's in the Mediterranean, it's in the Caribbean. They have one in like Tahiti. And anyways, this series 
has split up, right? So you have like below deck Mediterranean, below deck sailing yacht, which is a sailing yacht, not just like a yacht, a charter yacht, right? And it's just ridiculous. And we there's so many damn episodes and so many different shows that you're watching. We're never going to finish. We just finished <laughs> Mediterranean. That was five seasons. And it's like 15 episodes a season. Uh, sailing yacht season two just finished. Now we're going back to like the OG below deck. This is like 2013. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> it was funny. The chef, he had a stupid haircut. And I'm like, what a stupid haircut. And my girlfriend's like, yeah, but that haircut was big in 2013. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Things have changed my man. Yeah. I, it's funny hearing you talk about this though, because I'm actually kind of like that with uh, like hard knocks sometimes. Oh when yeah. It, hard knocks it, is another one. Yeah. I, I love to just go back and throw it on like 2012, 13, 14. It just puts you in a time machine where you go back and you don't really anticipate. And the Who's other show the team for this year, by the way, and hard knocks. Oh, I feel like I had seen it, but it, it uh, escapes me right now. Are they I, ever going to do the Buffalo bills? Like Probably if you're ever going to do it, now's the time. Yeah. Which by the way, the NFL uh, today, as we're taping on the Thursday approved the alternate helmet, uh, for teams beginning in 2022, which means the Bills can bring back the red helmet for one game a year, uh, which will look amazing. I saw so many photoshops on my Twitter timeline today of Josh Allen wearing the 90s jerseys that Doug Flutie did and Bruce Smith and Thurman Thomas and Jim Kelly and Andre Reid and Eric Moulds and all those, like that that era of the beautiful blue. But here's the thing. A lot of people were like, oh, now we can permanently bring back the 90s look. I'm like, no, the identity of this Bills team is the white helmet with the white jerseys with the white pants like that that's what josh allen is going to be remembered for in 20 years when he's done playing is you're going to look back at photos and i love having that identity of different eras of buffalo football where it's like they were that look this is this look right and there's there was a lot yeah. of bad there's a lot of bad stuff in between where it was like oh the bills really bad branding bad look all the rest but i have some of those jerseys and yeah. i hate looking at them <laughs> i know but but they figured it out now and uh and it looks really good but i'm excited that they're gonna get to rock the the red helmet because i actually have a red helmet that i painted myself when i was in like late high school and i still i have this like self-created bills 90s themed helmet because that was the nfl team that i fell in love with yeah. that actually made me kind of fall in love with football on top of you know watching games at, at queens and kingston when i was growing up and watching cfl games on tv it was like watching the bills on television on a sunday was a big deal and they rocked that look <laughs> so i was uh i was pumped to see that they're gonna get to wear those red helmets again yeah you know as a bills fan you hate to say the good old days of the Buffalo Bills because they weren't good. They weren't good at all, yeah. right? But it was like, yeah, Lee Evans, right? Roscoe Parrish, yeah. you know, Trent Edwards for that year and a half when he looked good before he crumbled, right? And it's like, yeah, the Buffalo Bills teams were were fun. And then it wasn't fun at all. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I looked it up. Um, there's like five teams that they're still deciding on okay. who to give hard knocks to. But there are reports out that the Denver Broncos could be um, on the in. They just made a trade for Teddy Bridgewater. Like they have a new quarterback and it just looks like that's going to be the team. And I Vic would... Fangio is old, right? So just give it to him. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm like, that's not, I, I mean, they're all going to be entertaining, but there are, there are much more entertaining teams that would be available. I'm sure to be able to go in. Like if you go to. How about Arizona? Yeah. JJ Watts now oh, there. Man, like, yeah, JJ's there with DeAndre Hopkins, with Kyler Murray, with Strebler would be fun. It was for some cameos <laughs> there running around without his shirt on and having fun at training camp <laughs> and stuff. So, yeah, that'd be cool, man. I I think there's a lot of better options. I saw a stat the other day that said 
I think it was actually Mike Tanier who writes for, uh, it might be Bleacher Report. He might be somewhere else these days, but he wrote an article that was the best and worst quarterback for every type of throw. And it was like, you know, clean pocket, three-step drop, uh, you know, rushed pocket, five-step drop, roll out to your right, roll out to your left, seven-step drop, shotgun play action. It was all these different scenarios and games as it was broken down by, I think, football outsiders and pro football focus. Drew Locke of the Denver Broncos and Carson Wentz of the Eagles were about 90% of the worst types of throws for every single situation. I, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I saw that Drew Locke was the worst quarterback for rolling left, rolling right, five-step, clean pocket, three-step, dirty pocket. I'm like, why is this guy in the league? If he's the worst at all of these throws being split essentially 50-50 with Carson Wentz, I'm like, Carson's going to get another chance because he's got too much talent. But I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that Drew Locke ever deserved the chance to be a starter. It's like, well, how the hell did Elway think that was going to be the thing? So uh, if, they end up, if they end up getting it and Teddy is deemed to be like the savior, yeah, I just saw Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina. He didn't. He wasn't saving anything. No. So that, that's a weird thing to try and sell on Hard Knocks. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure to put on Teddy Bridgewater. It is so weird to me because it's proud franchises searching for a quarterback but never hit on it, right? Like since Peyton Manning left Denver, the Broncos have been atrocious in yeah. trying to find a quarterback. Like they drafted Paxton Lynch. It was probably the worst quarterback drafted in the first round in probably 20 years. That dude could not play the position. He couldn't so, play the position ever when he was there. Can you look up for me? Just like go to pro football reference, Peyton Manning's two years in Denver, because I want you to tell me, because I, I think I know generically off the top of my head what it was. I think it was like 58 touchdowns in 2013. And I don't remember how many interceptions there were in 2013. The year they were good. Was, yeah, he so, was terrible. So he was 20, terrible. 2013. Uh, he was like wild that he was doing all these things and throwing for seven touchdowns against the Ravens in the season over. And then when they actually ended up, cause that 2013 year, I'm sure that was the, the MetLife stadium game that got blown out by the Seahawks, but the 2014 season where he finishes on top by beating the Carolina Panthers, he like, didn't he have like 13 touchdowns to nine interceptions or something? I forget what it was, but that's why I'm asking you to pull it up there is because the last year, and the whole reason I bring this up is I can't believe I saw a picture of Tom Brady the other day working out and looking like his arm was as fresh as it's ever been in June, getting ready to go into another training camp in which he's going to turn 44. Because yeah. when I, when I see the Peyton line, the Peyton line on TD to interception ratio from 2013 to 2014, I'm like, Oh, that's what aging looks like. You hit a wall and your body drops off a cliff. And all of a sudden, you don't have it anymore. And I can't believe it hasn't happened to Brady yet based on a video I saw of him working out the other day. But what were those numbers for? Okay, so 2011, he missed the season with the neck injury. Yeah. 2012, he returned 37 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Okay. The year after that, 2013, 55 touchdowns, <laughs> 10 interceptions. The year after that, um, 39 touchdowns 15 interceptions and then his final year nine touchdowns 17 interceptions oh my but God. what i was saying about the year that they won the super bowl he was terrible he was bad the year they won the super bowl especially in the playoffs like yeah the defense von miller and those guys they won the super bowl for the broncos Peyton made some plays here and there but that wasn't Peyton, right the year that they went to the Super Bowl and the Seahawks absolutely slapped them in the face, 
that was the year Peyton Manning was unbelievable. He just decided to have his worst game maybe in his career in the Super Bowl. And it was the worst Super Bowl probably in the last 20 years in terms of entertainment value because the game was over about five minutes in. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, all right, let's get a quick break for you. We'll come back on the other side. I'll be joined by Sam Corbett, brewmaster and co-founder of Sawdust City Brewing as we are going to do our Sawdust Happy Hour tasting uh, here with Lusciousness Hazelnut Latte Imperial Milk Stout, 9.6%. I'm terrified, but please stick around. We'll see how it all goes. It is Marsh and Mel right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Marshall Ferguson here from my friends at Forstagione. Want to get your golf game in shape before the season begins? You can book their Trackman golf simulators now. These things are world-class. They've got a new daily drink deal and spring-summer menu coming soon, just in time for the patio. That's right, patio season. Just around the corner, forstagioni.ca, and you can follow on Instagram at four, that's F-O-R-E, dot stagioni, S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. Open for takeout daily. Give them a call at 905-381-9850. Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mello here for you on Canadian Football Perspective each and every week. We are very fortunate to sit down and have a great discussion around all things beer with Sada City Brewmaster and co-founder Sam Corbet. He joins us here of course, on Marsh and Mellow. And uh, I have to admit, I'm intimidated a little bit, Sam, by what we have in front of us here today. It's it's the highest, I believe, alcoholic value that we have of any of the beers that we have tried thus far, which I feel like it was a good idea that we decided to do this on a on a Thursday evening so that nothing gets out of hand. So we can just enjoy, <laughs> enjoy one and discuss it. But this is this is an aggressive style. This is an aggressive uh, as I say, alcoholic value in this one. It's lusciousness, hazelnut latte, imperial milk stout, 9.6%. When I sent this to my friends, 9.6, they went, what the hell is that? And I said, I don't know. I'll ask Sam that question to start tomorrow's uh, Solid City Happy Hour tasting. So, Sam, what the hell is that? Well, it's our, you know, it's imperial stout. So it's all you got to bring the, <laughs> you got to bring it. So, I mean, we haven't done a stout yet, so this is great. I mean, if you're going to do something, dive in it in. So right into the big boys at 9.6. Um, you know, we, we, we actually have a few other ones that are bigger than this, but I felt like this is a nice wheelhouse for Imperial Stouts. Like, we've done them higher, we've done them a little lower, but I like this somewhere in that 9.5 range because, I don't know, I just feel comfortable in there, but it's, so, it's a lot. <laughs> so and what are what are the ones that you have that are are higher than nine and a half i believe there was the uh, the blood of and i don't want to mess up the last name pronunciation so how do i say okay, that well, the blood of cthulhu is actually nine and a half oh it is oh. Of cthulhu is 11 was 11.2 okay. <laughs> and you know lord knows we need more 11.2 percent beers in our lives that one See, I still, sometimes I still drink like I'm 20 and I think, oh, I totally do this. And then I totally can't. I just can't. <laughs> so that's why I think nine and a half is, is good. Yeah. And because uh, it, it, and it's a really rich, thick beer. So it's not like, even if you wanted to, you, you're pretty much like you're locked in at one here. Like it's very heavy. It's very flavorful. And it's so creamy. And like we, the name lusciousness, it's, you know, it's like onomatopoeia. It sounds like it is. It's just luscious. It's just creamy. It's just this, the sound evokes this like silkiness. And this is what this is. And when you pour it, you'll see it. It's got a really dense, rich mocha head, like very dark tan head. And it sort of 
effervesces very slowly because the beer is so thick and the bubbles just sort of like leak slowly through the liquid. Interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, let's not waste any more time. Let's crack these bad boys open because I've uh, I have to admit, you guys sent me two cans of this, okay? And I showed one to my dad on Father's Day weekend, and I uh, when I explained it to him, I said, "Yeah, we're going to be tasting this thing." And I said, "Do you want to?" you want to crack a can with me and we can split it together and we can kind of see where it all kind of uh, shakes out for you. Cause my dad actually really does like the darker beers. I've never been a huge fan of them, but like I say, it's, I enjoy being able to see the full repertoire of what you guys have available in our partnership here with CFP, because I get pushed to boundaries of places that I'm not overly familiar with, which is good. Like that's the fun of, of craft beer. A lot of the time is going to places that you don't expect, but I didn't end up having it with my dad, but I sent the can home with him. <laughs> Uh, and I'm I'm thrilled to get the full review from him because I think he's going to absolutely love it. Because like you say, it's when you say 9.5 is in your wheelhouse, the Imperial Stouts are in my dad's wheelhouse. <laughs> well, you said that he used to sit down with that big Irish ale, the Scotch ale or whatever, and it was that's a big heavy beer too. And that's yeah. you know into that like big mouthfeel. As soon as you open that can, you can smell the hazelnut like it's pretty in your face. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is. And, and see, I'm I'm somebody who actually doesn't drink coffee. I went through a phase in life where I drank a whole bunch of coffee. And then I kind of realized, like, I don't really need this. I'm using it as a crutch kind of thing. Right. And it was, you know, even after going hard in university or something like that, I would have a coffee. It wouldn't really do it for me. Like it wouldn't hold me over. But the smell of anything that is coffee-ish, that's hazelnut, that's roasted pecans, that's any of that type of, I guess, branch of the the flavor tree, if you want to call it that, I love. So yeah, the hazelnut smell coming off of this is awesome. And, and I've talked with you about layering flavors and smells and all the rest before, but it's amazing how quickly that actually hits when you pour it. It's, it's very in your face. And, you know, this was sort of a break. Like, so LDV... We got LDV coffee vanilla, which then we got this. So, like, every year we're just adding a little bit to it. This is the first time yeah. I think that the Football Canada logo on my mug has looked white uh, compared to oh, everything. Yeah. It's, like, it's <laughs> it looks like it's a gray outline. That's actually a black logo uh, for anybody that's watching on the YouTube edition of this. And it actually looks brighter uh, sitting next to the actual color of this. But yeah, the, the tiny little bit of, of the head, obviously, because that, that's typical of an imperial stout, correct? Where you've got that lusciousness and not super, super hoppy, anything like that bouncing around. And uh, what are some of the other notes that you want people to know about this? Maybe if they're listening to this and they're sipping back and enjoying one, or maybe they're thinking about getting a lusciousness from you guys at sawdustcitybeer.com. Well, there's a little bit of, uh, there's still the coffee in the background, which is, you know, that's the latte part of it. And then... We did still use a copious amount of it. The vanilla was dialed back on this one a bit to let the hazelnut come through some more, but we still have those big roasted notes of the LDV. And like, as you said about coffee and the smells of coffee, the brew house on, the, on, a, on a stout brew day is exactly that. It's like you, first thing in the morning, you get this, the roast hits the mash tun in the water and it just smells like, it smells like coffee. It's so roasty and so chocolatey. And I love that smell. So making yeah. stouts is, my favorite pleasures of being a brewer it's just the brew house smells fantastic especially like first thing in the morning sometimes it can be tough on the runoff but like it's all worth it in the end it's a usually a laborious brew day but 
I, I, I'm a big stout fan, so we do a lot of different stouts and we play around with it a lot. Like you can see, like it just that the head that just sits on top, like it's just yeah. super. I uh, I did ask the question on Twitter whether anybody had any questions for you going into this tasting, and the response that I got back that I enjoyed the most uh, was from Andy Beckler, and he asked on Twitter. Would, what would you describe as the relationship between beer and coffee? You went into it a little bit there, talking about the, the smell and how it actually feels almost like a, a coffee house. But in general, the relationship between these two, because every liquid has some sort of relationship or connection or the way they interact with each other. But coffee and beer, at face value, people that aren't brewers, they might not think of it as having a direct connection. But man, there's a lot of, of things that are kind of tying the two together. Well, I think the easiest way to get into it is through how the roasted barley uh, is sort of like on the same plane as the roasted coffee bean. Like it goes through a, a roasted, when you look at a roasted barley kernel, it is like charred black. And like when you add the liquid, you get that same dark liquid like you would from a coffee bean. I learned a lot about coffee as we went through the learning of how to make LDV coffee vanilla. We work with some different roasters and the variability of different coffees and where you get it in the terroir of, you know, where the beans from and how they ferment it and then roast it. Like it's very, it, there's a huge flavor variation that I had no idea about. I think we all grew up with the idea that coffee is black and then you add sugar and cream. Right. I mean, there's a whole world out there as much as like craft beer is there's these craft roasteries and small roasteries all over Ontario and Canada over the world and this particular coffee bean comes from Honduras and then is roasted here in Ontario and we used whole beans and we in the past he used the cold steep it for us where so you wouldn't get the bitterness as much as you you would just get the flavor and it worked really well with LVB but then this year we actually it's sort of like dry beaned it like instead of dry hopping we actually added the beans right to the tank and we found actually it was a lot easier and way cheaper for us to do it that way. <laughs> We're going to continue to use that method in the future. But I think, you know, that's sort of where it begins. But there's so many different ways you can use coffee and beer. Like there are coffee IPAs. There are coffee pale ales. There's coffee blonde ales. Because you can get lighter roasted fruit forward coffees that work well with some hot beer notes. And there are, there are white stouts with coffee. And, you know, is so many different variations because there's, there's whatever the imagination can take you but because both of them are such versatile liquids that you can just find any marriage in there and for me this is like the simplest easiest this tastes like this we should put them together <laughs> and it works yeah it's I, awesome I, it, it's, a, it's a great answer honestly because there is so much variability between the two of them that you can apply them however you want and that lends to your imagination as a brewer, which I can totally understand why you enjoy working with. They're one of my, I'm a big Curb Your Enthusiasm fan. Uh, and one of my favorite episodes is Larry David figuring out that he should start Latte Larry's. He should start up his own coffee shop. This was last season in Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he finds out that he actually has a friend who has a connection to a dealer who has the beans. It's, you got to get the beans. The beans make everything. The beans are the main thing that really decide everything for you. You mentioned these are from Honduras. And they are brought up here and then they're actually used and put into the process in Ontario. But what is the process when you are thinking of using that coffee essence in a beer? What is the process of actually getting the right 
being choose because as much as you say yeah these ones are they're quality and we trust them and we know where they're coming from and all the rest and it's you still have to find ones that really match what you are going to try to do when you're crafting we actually went we've gone for cuppings where you sample a bunch of different small bits of coffee roast drip uh, from the bean these different beans and you find the ones like there's some are more acidic some are fruitier some are roastier and you just find you just use these cuppings right and then you try it with the beer and you, and you work with the different notes so like there is a process it wasn't just like oh that one uh it was you know we sit down and we tasted it and we we really really like how this catchy duke um under a bean worked and we've used it for three years now uh i actually had to I just tried uh, a coffee this week that was given to us by uh, a roastery in Newmarket. And I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, I wish I could, but it was a bourbon barrel aged coffee bean. So the beans were actually rested in bourbon barrels and then you grind the coffee and you make your coffee. And wowzers, <laughs> like the bourbon quality, like the aroma was insane and i really liked it my wife was a little taken aback she's like the, the, it's it smells so boozy like there's no booze in it i don't think there is but uh the essence is so there it's so entrenched in the bean that it just even when you pour the pot like what was left and you're rinsing it from the day before it was like pure boozy aroma coming off the pot it was insane really? and i really enjoyed it and i we have another bag that we're going to try the brewers and they approached us to see if we can make some beer with it. I think obviously like those flavor parallels, they just cross over and I guess it wouldn't make a parallel of that. I mean, they intertwine. Like, yeah. So it's, it's, it would be, it would be an incredible experience to try that. Uh, I got to reach back out to the guy. It was really a unique experience. I had never had anything like it. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, again, that goes back to the kind of variability and the multiplicity of what you're talking about, right? Where, it doesn't have to be, well, we get the beans and then we combine them with the alcohol. It's like, well, what if we just put the beans in the bourbon barrel and then we go from there? And and I love the idea of that too, because people, I mean, for that place in Newmarket, they, I'm, I'm not going to say that's a jackpot because who knows what the sales are, but the idea of people, you know, popping the Baileys in during the cold weather, it's like, well, when you want a coffee that just kind of has the essence that you're talking about, that kind of runs that way because those two things do, do intertwine so seamlessly. Yeah, and my wife, my wife's like, it's like a Spanish coffee. Like, it was like, you know, it's first thing on a Saturday morning. Maybe it's not exactly like a little bit much, but like I, I really enjoyed it. Like I, it's the same. I found the same sort of parallels when we do bourbon barrel beer. Like you get this rich, fudgy toffee character, and I really like that. Um, so I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but that's just it was in my wheelhouse. But oh, I wish I remembered. Now I feel really bad that I don't that's remember. Okay. The let me let me know afterwards, and uh, I'll make sure that we give them a shout out here in the YouTube uh, video and everything, and, and all the rest, because that does sound really intriguing. And I love when people are pushing boundaries on that stuff, whether it's liquids as coffee and using bourbon barrel aged stuff, or if it's liquids as beer that use the beans. Or it's, I mean, the, like you say, the the twist and the tie of all those things together is pretty intriguing. The last thing that I I want to ask you here, Sam, before I let you go, is uh, just how things are going up there, because I know we, we've talked the last couple of weeks when people hopefully have been checking in here on our YouTube page and seeing what you guys are up to and being able to uh, obviously enjoy our father's day video last week. I saw some great throwback stuff that you guys had. You were promoting uh, Dave's affordable Dortmunder and, and some of the other kind of dad themed beers as well over the weekend. And we're starting to enter towards 
stage two, which is great for CFL fans because it looks like in Ontario, that's going to be 25% of people in the stands. And hopefully as we get closer and closer towards the start of the regular season, when the Ticats play their first home game on Labor Day, uh, then we're going to have hopefully 100% or as much as we possibly can to get close to that. But we're getting that positive momentum. We're getting good things happening. And I, I imagine for you guys, it's starting to feel a little bit more normal. Yeah, it's really exciting. You know, that announcement today with the moving into phase two on, on June 30th, um, that's super, that's amazing. Uh, Canada Day weekend's always a huge weekend for us. It used yeah. to be a, our Funk Fest weekend where we had our sour and funky beer festival at Sada City. Um, as much as it's not happening this year, we are really, you know, it's still a big weekend for us. And, you know, as the momentum builds, we want to remind people that Funk Fest is still alive and kicking and it will be back. Uh, much like the CFL is coming back, so will Funk Fest. And because of that, we just, we released our first beer in our uh, Kettle Sour series, our Coriolis Effect variants uh, yesterday, and then Coriolis Effect came out today. So the first one was pineapple, scotch bonnet, pepper. Uh, if you check out our YouTube channel or Twitter or Instagram, you'll see a, a video of a few of us trying to eat raw scotch bonnet peppers, which Ooh. they are hot <laughs> and uh, it's punishing. I mean, in the video, you can see us the immediate effect of how hot it is. It's like 20 minutes later, it's way worse. <laughs> the, the intense heat of the beginning, like the sweating and the crying, but uh, it's the gut pain later. You got to you gotta vet the peppers, okay, Sam? Always vet the peppers. That's the rule. It's, and, and I actually, like, uh, mentioned the the sort of the Russian roulette of peppers where some of them are like you're perfectly fine and then the next one your face is melting and <laughs> I, I mean I like hot stuff so we you know the beer is the first one the pineapple scotch bonnet and then we have our it, it's it's spicy but I, I don't think it's overly hot and I would it's got a nice kick to it we use like over 150 scotch bonnet peppers we roast them and de them ourselves and I, I find it quite unique. And then next week we'll have our blueberry lavender and mango, salted mango. We also have some fun beers in our Limberlost coming out uh, that are out right now. So we do, we do have a lot of the, the, those staples that you would have found at Funk Fest. So, you know, we want to keep that positive vibe going and hopefully remind you the next summer when things are, you know, crossing fingers. Back to normal, we'll be able to have this festival and invite everybody back to Sawdust. Our patios uh, has been open for the last couple of weeks. Fortunately, I mean, the weather hasn't been the greatest since we've opened. <laughs> in the foreseeable future, I haven't seen nine days in a row like that. I don't think in my life, like just like straight rain. Like, what, what happened? <laughs> but whatever i mean still positive vibes yes yes uh, and again as we said before much better days coming we all know that but uh, i will say for people maybe that are listening here to the, to the marshmallow podcast that haven't checked out our videos on youtube previously um, go check out saddlecitybeer.com because you might not get a sense necessarily yet of the total wide variety the selection that's available but i love so much that just when I think I have a handle on what your guys' staples are and some of the things you're messing around with, you're like, yeah, yeah, we got like these three other things coming out. And then we got like a, this two other things coming out in July. And then we got a seasonal. And then we're, we're lining this thing up for the fall. And then we're, it's just, there, there's an assembly line of different stuff, which if you ever think, you know, oh, I'm bored. I've had a solid city beer before. Whoa, no, uh, you need to relax and wait for the next thing to come out. Cause Sam is constantly 
pushing the boundaries and having fun with it. So I, I hope that you guys get some sun. I hope that you get a chance to be able to invite lots of people out during Canada Day weekend. And uh, we'll go with something, maybe not as, this might be the darkest beer that I have the entire summer, Sam, but I am loving it. So thank you. And you know what? It actually will be at the LCBO next fall. I wow. neglected to mention that. It will be at Bio Shells. So look for that late fall, early winter. Lusciousness will be at the LCBO. Amazing. That's, man, that is going to be a hit. There's a lot of people that listen to our podcast that I know that are either Ticats or Argos fans in Ontario that are constantly sending me pictures of dark ass beers. They love the dark beers when they're watching games because you can sit here like this with one for a half a game or a full game and enjoy it. Right. Like you say, because it is so smooth, but it does, uh, it, it holds you honest. I would say more than anything else up at that 9.5. So Sam cheers, as always great to catch up with you. Thank for being on with us. And uh, we're looking forward to chatting with you again next week. Cheers. Have a good weekend, Marshall. My thanks to Sam Corbet, as always, for joining me here. You can always check out the full lineup of tastings that we have on our YouTube channel. Just search up Canadian Football Perspective on YouTube, and you can find everything there. We have done about 15 of those bad boys. Anything you want to order from Sada City, you can check out on the CFP YouTube page. And don't forget that promo code, of course, that we have for you, SadaCityBeer.com. You can shop their wide variety of brews and learn more, of course. And you can use that promo code that I've been teasing, CFL. CFL is the promo code during checkout to receive free shipping on your first order over $100. Available to Ontario residents only must be of legal drinking age. We'll take a quick break. Come back on the other side. Kyle and I break down some of the big CFL news, including the retirements in a crazy week around the Canadian Football League as we get set for a return to play right here on Marsh and Mellow, Canadian Football Perspective. For those tough wake-ups. I want to give you a chance, Pete, to call a couple of places. Let's see what you do here, buddy. Yeah. Okay, the ball's on the right hash. We got the boys looking deep downfield. It's second and ten. It's Marsh and Mellow. But I got a feeling that we're going to go try to pick up a chunk right here. They're going to be defending low, and we're going to find a way. Quarterback scrambling. Gets the ball loose. Hi. <laughs> I feel like I could just recite what Peter. I I mean, it takes some skill, but to try and recite what he did. Again, the quarterback has. Hi. I just love that he just relied on hi at the end coming out of that one. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Let's talk some CFL, Kyle, as uh, my thanks to Sam Corbet, the brewmaster and co-founder from Sada City for hanging out with me here on Marsh and Mellow. But want to talk some CFL uh, and get in some news and notes and some of your thoughts as well, because I've been writing about stuff this week on CFL.ca and I talked on the breakdown about all sorts of my retirement theories. So people can check that out on the breakdown if they want. But uh, it started off with a couple of names trickling in here and there, right? It was Braden Tram, offensive lineman from the University of Calgary, who was with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, retired. Taylor Lothar via UBC with the Montreal Alouettes, just played for the Bombers, interesting player, retired. We get Courtney Steven, which is a veteran guy. I didn't think he was going to have a huge contribution yeah. this year necessarily. Not a great spot for him in the defense, but he still would have contributed on special teams. He would have been great as a spot duty type guy. So he ends up retiring. Amongst all the chaos, we see Brad Sinopoli go down. I'm like, man, it, it, that's one of the bigger names that I had kind of theorized when I talked on the breakdown on Wednesday with DT. And then amongst all of this, we see Matt O'Donnell re-sign with the Edmonton Elks. And I was amazed by that because O'Donnell is up there in age relative to the rest of these guys. And he's playing a position where the body gets worn down a lot. Not that other positions don't, but... Being an offensive guard is that is day in, day out. And I remember seeing him play at Queens 
before I was even in university and he's signing back on as other people are leaving the sport. So there's been all sorts of craziness, but what has caught your eye in this week of announcements leading up to training camps? Yeah, the Brad Sinopoli one was, I don't want to say sad because he had such a great career. I think it's fair though. It's disappointing. You, you love watching a guy play and you come to the realization that you're not going to get to see him anymore. That's fair. Yeah. And it's like he left and we never got to say goodbye, like on the field. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we never got to, you know, cover him one last time where he said, you know, this season's my last. And again, I don't know. You know, I have no insight into Brad Sinopoli's mind and why he retired now, but it's hard for me not to take into consideration the quarterback play in Ottawa over the last couple of years and whether or not that had anything to do with Brad Sinopoli leaving like Brad Sinopoli is like oh great now I got to come back and have some chemistry with a new quarterback another new quarterback that might get injured during the year uh, because he's been injury prone over the last five years and then I'm back to the old guy like that's what I'm thinking of when Brad Sinopoli retires I'm like man if the structure was in place around him Maybe we got to see Sinopoli one more year in 2021. Not the case. Yeah, for me, I think the saddest part was that his last year, he was, I mean, he was. <laughs> his numbers <laughs> fell off and it wasn't his fault. No, like he, he was swimming like hell to try to get over to Rose on that patio door, whatever the hell the thing was that was bobbing in the water during yeah. the Titanic. He was swimming as hard as he could to try and keep his head above water in an offense that was very clearly going to drown. And that was disappointing to me looking back on it, as you say, because that 2019 year could not have been fun. And again, I, I feel like it's been long enough that Ottawa fans, you won't need a reminder as to the way this played out. But for those of you, I, I went back when I was looking to do the season preview of 2021 for CFL.ca for the Ottawa Red Blacks. And I looked at 2019. It's stunning, Kyle. Like I had forgotten, even as somebody who follows the game closely and loves it, that they ended up winning in Calgary to kick off the season. Dominic Davis throws awful interceptions in that game. They still end up getting the victory. <laughs> yeah. Then they come home. Cody Fajardo, week two, Saskatchewan, his first CFL start with the Riders after Kalaros had been knocked out on the first four snaps or whatever of that game against Hamilton in week one in 2019. Fajardo gets the start. It's a, a, a thrower's duel back and forth. They're dropping dimes. I can't believe I remember you and I that week leading up on radio just laughing at how bad that game was going to be as a Thursday night we're like they got a short week they got no time to prep Fajardo Dominic Davis looked like trash in that first game somehow they got the victory there's no it was just like whoever wins this game it's whoever sucks less and they came out and they were amazing both teams like I was so wrong about that game and Ottawa won that one they're 2-0 to start the season yeah they finished the year three and 15 they had one win the rest of the year and did they lose like 11 games in a row or something yeah and the <laughs> the one game that they won was an overtime victory against montreal like it wasn't even a, a super high quality victory against like a hamilton or a winnipeg or a, it yeah. was it was it was awful after week two and I don't know if Sinopoli, he probably in his mind was like, we should not be 2-0. and This is not a good enough. Because he's seen good football teams. But yeah. he, he went that whole year in 2019 just doing what he could. But Dominic Davis is not somebody who's going to really efficiently get through reads and throw check downs and throw crossers and read. And to me, th that really sucked. That must have for him. He'll never say it because Brad's a classy guy. But I'll say it for him. That must have sucked as his final year. 
now looking at Nichols coming in, I totally get where you're coming from with having to get chemistry with another guy. I feel like with Lapalise there, I feel like with what I know about Nichols and the way that he goes through progressions and knows how to get through his reads, he's not Trevor Harris, but he's more similar to Trevor Harris than Dominique Davis or Jonathan Jennings were. Yeah. And he would have had probably a pretty good year this year, but he would have had a pretty good year in a year where Ottawa's not going anywhere. Like Hamilton is good. Toronto should be much improved and Montreal is still lingering and hoping to strike and take one of the top two spots in the East away from Hamilton or Toronto. So the idea of him coming back, going through all the aches and pains and all the practices and all the film and just to be a team that gets like five wins. He's got a lot of good stuff in front of him. Brad's an incredible guy, quality person. He's going to be celebrated forever in Ottawa as a football legend as he should. And for me, I think it was pretty organic the way that it went down but there had to be some thoughts of, do I really want to do this? And, and I keep wondering every person that I see retiring from Derek Dennis to, as I mentioned, Taylor Loeffler and Braden Schramm and Courtney Steven. And there has to be some combination of, well, I'm, I'm interested in things outside of the game. Maybe it's family. Maybe I can make the money that I'm making in the CFL going other places. Maybe I'm getting squeezed a little bit here on the salary stuff, whatever the reasoning is. Every time I see somebody that drops out, this early ahead of training camp, I think to myself, they've known for a while. Like, like I don't think yeah. the guys that are calling it quits right now just woke up and decided. But what I'm super interested in is when we get a week into training camp, are they going to start dropping like flies? Because that will really be when people start to realize, oh, I, I might not have it, man. Like, I might not yeah. be able to get back to the level of play that I thought that I could with a year off the game. And maybe I wasn't training for a period because I knew I didn't have to. And it was the first break in my football career I've had where I wasn't either getting hit or having to train to get ready to get hit. So I'm, I'm intrigued by the names we're getting now. People are going, wow, that's shocking. It's not. Those guys have known. No. They, have, they have things going on outside the sport. It's the names that are going to drop in early training camp or in late training camp when they're getting released. And they say, can I actually say that I retired? And the team's like, sure, you can have the narrative on this one. Those are the names that I think are really going to make people go, wow, I can't believe that guy isn't playing this season. Yeah. So a couple of things you brought up the fact Paul Lapolis now with Matt Nichols, if Bratzenopoli would have come back for another year it probably would have been a quicker progression mm -hmm. um getting that chemistry with their quarterback um here's another thing that i think it's important to bring up we don't know how brad is physically That's right true. sitting out for as long as cfl players have sat out at his age, be good on the body right because you're you're knowing that you're going to go into a training camp and the hits are going to hurt more right your body is going to hurt more and you can feel that. And Bradsonopoli is like, I've accomplished a hell of a lot in the game of football. He's definitely a Hall of Famer. Yep. So if you're Bradsonopoli, what more do you have to accomplish? Like you said, 2019 sucked. Like, it sucked for Bradsonopoli. Like, you look at his numbers, it sucked. You look at the situation in Ottawa, it all sucked. But at the end of the day, that's not a reflection of Brad Sinopoli as a football player, because we know the situation he was in. We knew when Trevor Harris left Ottawa and went to Edmonton, Brad Sinopoli, he was going to get hurt, you know, statistically because yeah. of it. And it happened. Um, the other thing, and I don't know if it was Naylor or Lalji, is somebody had tweeted out that they spoke to a CFL free agent this year and they asked the question, Hey, 
what's going on with all these retirements. And this free agent told, I can't remember who it was, Naylor Lalji, said, I think players are starting to realize, wow, I can make money, the same amount of money, or maybe even more money, not playing football that I didn't know before because I was forced to. The last year and a bit, I was forced to make money um, outside of football. And players are like, you know what? No, forget this. I think that's why Courtney Stephen left, right? Courtney Stephen's doing great work, like uh, being a personal trainer and working in fitness. And that's his love outside of football. And he's like, I can make a career out of this. I can make money. I don't want to come back and play football again. Now, here's the, the difference between a guy like Courtney Stephen retiring and a guy like Brad Sinopoli retiring. I think the franchises both knew, right? Like all these guys that are retiring, I think the franchises had, uh, you know, knowledge that that player was deciding on whether or not they were going to play or going to retire. And them retiring is not a huge shock to those teams. Now, those two instances in terms of Courtney Steven versus Brad Sinopoli, the Ticats, I don't know how much they were going to rely on Courtney Steven, definitely on special teams. But as a starting Canadian, I don't think Courtney was going to be one of those guys. Um, but again, if he would have went to training camp, only time will tell. Brad Sinopoli was definitely one of the starting Canadians for Ottawa. Now that he leaves so late in the process before training camp begins, you're going to have a hell of a time replacing well, that guy. <laughs> and I was actually saying this to, uh, to our mutual friend, Scott Hasty the other day when we were talking about this. And, and he goes, well, how screwed is Ottawa when it comes to trying to get the ball kind of shared around? I'm Ooh. like, well, well, they were already in tough because they're trying to go deep ball stuff with RJ Harris. But to me, RJ Harris is not a top 10 deep ball guy in the CFL. No. So if he's going to be your deep threat and he's not a top 10 guy, what's that say about your deep ball efficiency? It's not going to be good. What they were going to do, this, this is the equation in my mind going into the season was Lapalise was going to create something that was probably a little bit run-based like he did in Winnipeg with Andrew Harris. He was going to lean on Timothy Flanders. He was going to lean on whoever else they bring in there because running backs are a dime a dozen. You can find them. They can run the rock and whatever. Yep. Uh, and But my thinking was, okay, if I'm building out this offense, Anthony Coombs has the potential to maybe do the Nick Dembski role like in Winnipeg. Maybe that becomes Dan Peterman. Or maybe Peterman plays the wide side role like you had Drew Wolitarski in Winnipeg. Then I'm looking around. I'm like, well, Jalen Saunders was supposed to be your vertical threat to the field side, kind of like Speedy B is for the Ticats with Tommy Condell where he moves him over to that middle slot back. And it, the idea there, I think, was you're supposed to be able to go from, you know, boundary wide receiver, RJ Harris, deep shot, no, get off of it, come back to the other side and look for Jalen Saunders. It's not the world's greatest one-two punch, but it's pretty good. Well, Jalen Saunders gets into a car crash, unfortunately. Hope yeah. that he's doing all good now, but he ends up getting put on the retired list. So the thought was, okay, now you got to go RJ Harris and you're basically reading from one to two to a check down. And that number two in that progression was probably going to be Sinopoli on low crossing routes, rub routes, 10-yard route, because this dude's yards in air average in terms of targets over the last three seasons is not, is never more than eight yards. Like, yeah. he, he's always down near the line of scrimmage. But now he knows he, how to get open. Of course, yeah, and he's, yeah. he's great at it, but that's why in 2019 he had a whole bunch of catches, not as many as he did in 2018, of course, but he had a whole bunch of catches, and Ottawa didn't move the ball. Because when your yeah. offense runs through Sinopoli exclusively, and no knock on Brad because he's great at what he does, but when it exclusively goes through him and his playing style and what he's asked to do offensively, you're not going to move yeah. the football. You're not going to get first downs. You're not going to make your way down the field. You have to have things around. When they had Ellingson, right, going vertical down the field side, when they had uh, Deontay Spencer, when they had Chris Williams, when they had Ernest Jackson, when 
when they were surrounding those things, that's when Sinopoli was one of the best receivers in the whole damn league because he had those things around him. And it was just like, oh, shit, we forgot about Sinopoli. Damn it. And then all of a sudden, he's breaking free and doing amazing things. Yeah. When they can key on Sinopoli, it's the same thing we always talk about in the NBA. If you take somebody who is, um, you know, the, the best player uh, on, like, let's say, a, a mediocre team, and you put them on a team, a super team, they become the third best player in that roster. They look incredible. But if you take them from being the third best player on an NBA team and you slap them on another roster and they have to be the guy, that's tough because now they're keying on you and they can actually defend that. So uh, I think for me, that was the biggest thing with Sinopoli in his time in Ottawa was he he was on both ends of it. He was the the sneaky yeah. guy who crept up on you, who was super productive. And he was also the guy they keyed in on. And it's no fault of his own. It's just what happened with that Ottawa roster is deplorable. Like where they went from, where they were, the great cups they were in with the talent they had. They lost where, everything to where they stand today. I actually, I pulled up here, Kyle. I was just going to give this a quick read for our listeners because I think this might be a fun little time capsule. I was just remembering as you were talking about the differences of him after everybody left, I wrote an article at the end of 2019 called what happened to the red blacks. Okay. And this was on CFL.ca and it reads as follows. They are who we thought they were, or at least who we expected them to be entering the season. Forget about the road win in Calgary week one against all the odds and the stats. Forget about the week two Thursday night football shootout win against Fajardo and the Riders. Those are just distant memories at this point, but so much of recent Red Blacks football feels as though it is at this point. The Ottawa Red Blacks dismantled the Hamilton Tiger Cats around this time last year. In fact, they did it four times throughout the season in 2018. Some were methodical beatings, but the final was a pure beatdown. This yeah. past Saturday in Hamilton, the Hamilton Tiger Cats beat Ottawa 33-12, to defeating the Red Blacks at Tim Hortons Field for the first time since 2014 in what served as a fitting punctuation for the Red Blacks' 2019 season. The Week 19 loss in Hamilton served as a great reminder of where the Red Blacks have come from, where they are now, and just how much those two things can differ in a single year. A year ago, Trevor Harris was shredding Hamilton up and down the field The point that, uh, to the point that defensive coordinator Jerry Glanville said leading up to the East final, quote, we've done just about everything <laughs> we can to stop them. We have to get a turnover or yep. maybe some luck. Uh, the old ball coach sounded pretty hopeless. Maybe he knew what was to come in the East final. This time around, there was no Trevor Harris, nor his 1A replacement Dominique Davis, or the potential filled 1B in free agent acquisition Jonathan Jennings, Instead, William Arndt got his second career start Saturday as the Red Blacks turned the page and began, rightfully so, evaluating for the future. Side note, of course, William Arndt is now a BC Lion. Uh, Arndt would post the lowest accuracy grade of any quarterback in Week 19 while completing just 56% of his pass attempts for 112 yards. No true CFL fan needs the full history lesson on how the Red Blacks got to the point of a third-string quarterback being allowed to play out the games despite a lack of production in a 3-13 and season. So short that we don't know how we got here. Ellingson, Powell, Harris, Spencer, Elizondo. Football teams are about much more than five people, but when four dynamic players and a coordinator with a proven track record of success say goodbye, the Red Blacks' chances of maintaining their recent level of excellence left out that same door. Ellingson went to Edmonton with Harris, where the connection remained strong much of the season, while Powell left for Saskatchewan to become the bell cow volume runner the Riders have so craved in recent years. Both Powell and Ellingson have actually taken on less of a workload targeted touch percentage in their new colors, but have been more effective production grade than last season in Ottawa. While Harris spent his healthy section of the schedule in the lead or battling for it in most statistical 
passing categories. Offensive coordinator Jamie Elizondo left Ottawa for an XFL job in Tampa Bay at the worst possible time, putting head coach Rick Campbell in a bind few could overcome. What was left when the dust settled from Ottawa's mass exodus? Brad Sinopoli. Now, to be fair, there was Moses Madu and RJ Harris, Dominique Grimes, and Greg Morris. But in reality, the only true remnants of consistent playmaking from last season left was Sinopoli, whose workload was somehow <laughs> has somehow gone down while remaining on a team desperate to find him touches. More important is Sinopoli's production grade in 2019, dropping off a cliff as his quarterback play has. This is especially true on second down, where he is producing at a grade of just 43 in 2019 after posting a respectable 54.4 grade in the same second down situation a year ago. Sinopoli is by no means to blame, and he has done everything to keep his head above water. Wow, I used the same analogy. That's amazing. Uh, (laughs) A full two years apart. Sinopoli is by no means to blame, and he has done everything to keep his head above water in the confusing typhoon of losses, but I believe his 2019 season perfectly encapsulates the struggles Ottawa has faced in the 2019 season. Because the sport is such a team game, and the Red Blocks lost so many important pieces, Sinopoli is a great micro example of the way football teams operate like an ecosystem and everything is connected. And again, I looked at the, the actual targets here that I posted in this story. It's stunning. Like between the hashes where he was so good, most of his career, 2019, he had, uh, I want to say there was only one target in between the hashes beyond five yards in the air. (laughs) For an entire season, like that's crazy. When he was targeted, uh, he had 100 targets. He caught 60 (laughs) balls, so that's 60% completion rate, which is not great. 545 yards, which do the math on that. 545 divided by 60, not a great yards per catch because he always is kind of underneath. But there were four touchdowns and seven interceptions when targeting him in 2019. The previous year, he had 172 targets. He had more than twice. He had Kyle. This is crazy. In 2018, Brad Sinopoli had 23 more completions than he did attempts to him in 2019. Again, those are fully healthy seasons. He had 100 balls thrown to him in 2019. In 2018, he had 123 catches on 172 targets. So he had almost three times the receiving yards the previous year. He had twice the touchdown. It was just, I I do feel for the guy to your point. I know that I'm going back on this stuff, but I wanted to bring that up because I find the differentiation between his 2018 and his 2019 to just be incredible. And I do hate that it's the way that it ended, but I do choose to remember that if you surround Sinopoli with the right stuff, that guy was amazing. Right. And, And I think that's my main takeaway from his career. Yeah, so again, you look at the Ottawa Red Blacks over the last, you know, three years before the pandemic, what happened to the franchise? They won a great cut. Henry Burrish retired. Yeah. Trevor Harris was now the guy, no longer the sometimes start, sometimes struggle. And, you know, Henry Burris would come in, save the day, win a great cup, then he retires. And now you have Trevor Harris, Greg Ellingson, all those pieces are in place. Ernest Jackson, Ernest Jackson leaves. And it's like, okay, Greg Ellingson leaves. And then Trevor Harris leaves. Sir Vincent Roger leaves. And it's like, like, and it's a massive part of the story on why the Red Blacks fell apart. That's why I thought 
after the 2019 season, I thought Marcel Desjardins was in hot water because I'm like, something is happening. And by the way, your head coach left as well. There's something happening in Ottawa on why nobody wants to stay in the current era of Red Blacks football. That fan base is awesome. Like, I've been down there for Ottawa games. They're awesome. They love the Red Blacks. Yeah. You know, great cup week when we were down there. It's still Red Blacks jerseys everywhere. Like, those people love their football. Yet nobody wanted to stay. So what happened? That's why I felt Marcel Desjardins had some of the blame to take. Now, the pandemic has maybe kind of reset things a little bit. He's had a little bit more time to build a little bit of a better roster, but we won't know until they're on the field on whether or not he's built a better roster. And if Ottawa comes out and finishes in last place in the East division, then Marcel Desjardins probably has to fall on the sword and say, I, I can't, I can't build this again. I built it once and I, I can't do it again. I just don't. And again, I, I saw a quote and Kyle, you'll love this. I saw a quote from Matt Nichols who said, I hope everybody chooses us to be last in the league and last in the East. And it's like, okay, but Matt, that's not, that's not going to look great based on what we see on, on paper on the roster. right Especially now. if your team's struggling four weeks into that's the season. That's what I'm saying. It's like Corey Tindall <laughs> just retired as well. Who's going to be a nice piece for them in the secondary. And it's like the linebacker play, if they get to Sean Stevens as a young linebacker out of Maine, but I, I don't know if he's actually transferred. Cause I know he was in the transfer portal in the NCAA, but like, I mean, they took some futures in the last couple of years. Michael White was, a, I think, an early second-round draft pick for them. He's yeah. still bouncing around the NFL. And it's like Marcel had previously taken Eli Anku, who just signed as a defensive tackle with the Bills after being with the Browns for a while and stuff. It's like they've taken futures. They haven't been able to maintain the guys that, that were there that they had success with in the late 2010s. And and then I always go back to this, too, which is the, the press conference audio of Marcel Desjardins, how he found out about Rick Campbell's resignation. In terms of our conversation, I mean, I found out from Mark before I found out from Rick, and uh, the conversation after the fact was generally that he did not think that our relationship was good enough for him to want to continue in this arrangement, um, which, you know, is his opinion. I mean, the, the relationship has been the same since day one, um, but obviously the, the stress of this season must have played a factor in that. Look, I mean, I'm uh, as surprised as everybody else by this outcome. Um, you know, my expectation, as was Mark's, uh, was that Rick would be back and we would work together to try to get this thing straightened out. Um, you know, so again, today is kind of a, a strange day, an unexpected day. But having said that, um, you know, I'm thankful to Rick, um, not only for what he's been able to provide and, and lead off the field in terms of the culture we have with the Red Blacks, um, but also with respect to what he was able to do with his coaches and the players in terms of bringing us success on the field. So uh, I wish him the best in his future endeavors. Um, Rick's a good guy. Oh, Rick's a good guy is one of my favorites at the end. Yeah. There. It's just like, I've kind of run out of stuff to say. Uh, Rick's a good guy. Yeah, and you look <laughs> deeper into the Ottawa Red Blacks problems in 2019. It's like Rick Campbell's not an offensive coach, right? He needs a play caller because obviously he's a defensive guru. and at one point in the season, you had, what, Winston October calling plays, and then you had freaking Joe Pow Pow calling plays. <laughs> and I'm like, what is happening oh, in Ottawa? I, I wish we were all, on the, all the respect in the world for Winston October and Joe Pow Pow. Those guys know the CFL game, especially Joe Pow Pow. I was like, 
I haven't heard Joe Pow Pow's name in five years. Why is he calling plays for the Red Flags? I, I wish we were on a live platform right now with a, a real audience uh, that isn't listening on podcasts uh, because I would love to post a poll question, frickin' Joe Pow Pow, question mark? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and thumbs up, thumbs down, and just see what people would have to say on this one. But and this- it was after Winston October, and all of us in the preseason were like, yeah. Hey, I know you and can't learn a lot from preseason football, but Winston October calling plays. Winston October liked uh, my my story that I wrote on CFL.ca this week about Brad Sinopoli's retirement, and uh, and I clicked on his account. Guess where he is now? I don't the, even know. The same place everybody else who used to be in Ottawa is. He's in Edmonton. Oh wow! So I'm I'm like man, like was Brock, he a receivers coach? I think so. Yeah, and like maybe yeah. a pass, pass game coordinator or something like that. So. Um, I actually, I should check. I don't know. I, I feel like he's, he's in Edmonton. I just not sure exactly what it is. Yeah. Like his. I remember has him, uh, Winston October as a player and he yeah. was an unbelievable player. Like uh, in some parts of this country, a legend, same thing with Joe Pow Pow, yeah. but it's like, you don't want those guys coming in. And it's not that they were calling plays because those guys know football. I'm not questioning that. Yep. They're calling plays with no oversight because nobody's going to overrule them. Again, Rick Campbell's a head coach, and he knows a ton about the offensive game, and I understand that. Rick Campbell will tell you himself, I guarantee it, he does not want to call plays. <laughs> he wants somebody else that is more used to that role calling plays, and it wasn't like that in 2019, and that falls on the head on, on the general manager, Marcel Desjardins, that he didn't have the, the right infrastructure in place to make sure that team was going to be somewhat successful. We uh we did one big guarantee, Kyle. I just want to know before we wrap up the show today, do you agree with my one big guarantee for the Ottawa Red Blacks in 2021? It was Paul Apolise will be the Ottawa Red Blacks head coach in 2022. Regardless, <laughs> regardless of anything that happens this year, there's no chance in hell they bring in Paul Apolise. They finally get somebody that it seems like has wanted to be a head coach for a while. I very much doubt that anything could happen this year outside of a scandal uh, that would result in him not being the coach at this time next year. Yeah. Um, again, the guarantee of Paul Lapolice. Um, Look, is he going to help that franchise? Absolutely. But players play. And if he doesn't have the, the, the guys who can go out there and execute yeah. the system that Paul Lapolice wants to execute, it's not going to matter. Right. Like we knew this with, with Dominique Davis uh, very early in that 2019 season. Yes, they started two and no, and then it quickly crumbled. You pulled up the Brad Sinopoli numbers from that year. And it's like the, the process of surveying the field, the good quarterbacks can do it quickly. Dominic Davis wouldn't do it very quickly. It was, and you could tell he had happy feet in the pocket and he was an athletic quarterback that could move, yeah. but he was like, okay, I'm under pressure. Where's Brad? That's why Brad's, you know, uh, yards per catch went down because he was catching the ball four yards past the line of scrimmage, five yards past the line of scrimmage because Dominic Davis, he doesn't have that veteran presence in the fact that he can sit back there and survey a field and then hit Brad as the underneath guy um, or as the quick guy. Um, He would do it very quickly. Do you remember, uh, you might have a clip of it, of somebody emailing our show or texting our show or tweeting into the show <laughs> saying about Dominic Davis and Matt Nichols and, Oh, he needs a veteran quarterback. And I'm like, no, he, he already went through that process in Winnipeg and he's still bad. Yeah. Uh, all I have here is a couple of Matt Nichols clips for we you. We came out scored, uh, scored more points than them. Mm, interesting. They played well tonight. I mean, they did a bunch of different stuff to us. 
Ah, interesting. Uh, some winds are different than others. Ah, wow. I think that's some of my uh, my useless sound that was available there, I think. Well, anyways, just to sum up the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the clip or what I said uh, when we were in TSN was I'm um, like, he mentored him in Winnipeg. And I think I, my voice cracked. And that's why we, uh, we cut it and used it on our show. But it's like, <laughs> how many times, and I always say this about football, football minds, coaches, think they can always fix the problem, right? Yeah. Right. Philadelphia is going through this right now with Ben Simmons, right? I hear today, Doc Rivers on the mic after they get eliminated again. <laughs> we're going to fix ben this Simmons shooting. Look, yeah, we're going to fix this shooting. I'm like, haven't you already tried this? Sometimes a guy can't shoot. Yeah. Sometimes a guy can't be a starting quarterback. He can be a backup and he's fine in that role. He cannot be a starting quarterback. And when are we going to realize Dominic Davis can't be a starting quarterback in this league? I don't know. Like, I think that story has been written now. I don't think any general manager or head coach wants Dominic Davis under center in an important game. I believe he's still the backup in Ottawa. I might be wrong on that, but I think they re-signed him as the backup there. So if Nichols twists an ankle, then guess who's and, back under center again, you know? Yeah, and that's what I said about the Bratsonopoly retirement, right? Yeah. You know, he has to learn now chemistry with a new quarterback and a quarterback that has been injury prone over the last little while. I guarantee you, Dominic Davis is going to start a game for the Red Blacks this year. And what does that mean for, you know, that squad without Brad Sinopoli and the, the fact of what Paul Apoli is going to, you know, build a running game that, that you know, hurts uh, opposing defenses. But eventually in games, you have to throw the ball and you have to have a threat vertically. And if you don't, your offense is going to struggle. And I think Dominic Davis and that Red Blacks team, whether Matt Nichols is the quarterback now that Brad Sinopoli is not there, is going to struggle offensively. We'll see if the genius of Paul Lapolis can fix that. Uh, Dan Peterman better have 100 targets, is all I have to say. I, I'm down. I, Dan I, Peterman. <laughs> I got great belief in Petey. I just uh, I hope that everybody gives him the love. I'm going to finish the show off uh, with uh, an old classic force here, but I just got to remind you again, fox40shop.com. Enter the promo code CFP15, get 15% off your return to play whistle needs. Make sure you're doing that. And of course, if you want to be able to get free shipping in Ontario on your Sada City beer, they got a great lineup, lots of fun stuff. Uh, fun chatting with Sam Corbet today about lusciousness, hazelnut latte, imperial milk stout, 9.6%. Uh, I just finished it about five minutes ago. Holy boats. Uh, it was, it was a. <laughs> It was a task, uh, but it was a, it was a fun one. It was just, whew, man. Uh, and, and so if you want to be able to get free shipping, use the promo code CFL. Uh, Sawdust has been nice enough to hook up all of our listeners here on CFP oh. and, and Marshmallow with a promo code to get yourselves free shipping. Save a little bit of money. So last Saturday was my buddy's uh, birthday. So we went out over to his place for an outdoor patio, right? There was like probably eight of us. And one of my buddies, Nick, is strangely jacked like nick has always been jacked he's greek right so he has that like genetic muscle like he's ridiculous like his forearms are like my legs like he's just ridiculous right and he's jacked and i got the beer shipment from sam i got the juice in beer nice uh and i gave that to nick as a joke because we always say he's on steroids but he's not <laughs> <laughs> at least that we know <laughs> that's great but yeah. he said the beer he said the beer was oh, delicious. So good. Citrus IPA. I love <laughs> juice and it was really, really good. But uh, let's round out the show today. No three minute warning. No uh, Friday house party for you. I do, however, want to see whether or not this was funny uh, because apparently in my records, when I search through my iTunes, I see 30 for 30 Arbuckle Nichols. We spent a lot of time talking Red Blacks today because of Brad Snopley's retirement. <laughs> let's see if the Arbuckle Nichols 30 for 30 was any good. 
What if I told you that on a random Sunday in February, for the first time in a year, the CFL was back? That Nick Arbuckle became the first CFL quarterback not to take a snap for the team that acquired him since Matt Nichols breaking an eight-hour-old record. That Darian Durant thinks both men should get signing bonuses and promptly retire. That was my favorite one. That given 11 months to find a solution, neither team could reach a deal, only to conveniently reunite former coaches with their quarterbacks of choice. That the under on snaps played was a safe bet. Hey, Bill C218. That both quarterbacks yeah. completed more COVID-19 PSAs than passes. <laughs> that Nick Arbuckle could have paid Ottawa to keep him and he'd still be an Argo. <laughs> that Nichols missed his shot to work double blue. Oh, wow. That no signing bonus can justify the Toronto housing market. <laughs> that Marcel Desjardins was playing 3D chess and what we all thought was a game of 2D checkers. That pinball will take credit if it works and have plausible deniability if it doesn't. TSN Films presents a story so crazy it made you forget about a team out west with no name, also having no head coach. <laughs> That's a great time capsule into February of 2021. <laughs> it's not a team with no was... name, having no head coach. Oh, I'm so glad uh, I, I saved that line for uh... the end. What an era of football, the Scott Milanovic era in Edmonton. <laughs> he was the coach with of a team without a name. That's oh, so good. Uh, thank you for tuning in, everybody. We do appreciate it. At Kyle underscore Mello underscores, where you can find my good friend Kyle Mello. I am at TSN underscore Mars. We are at CF Perspective is where you can find us on Twitter and Instagram, cfperspective.com as well. Have yourselves a great, great weekend. and We will catch up with you coming up at the start of next week, the A Block, Monday morning right here for you on CFP. Come up here. It's not the NFL. It's a CFL. It's different. Um, you expect to do well. It's just what I've been accustomed to from college and, and had some, some, some moments in, in the NFL. And then you come up here, and it's, it's not what you're expected or what you're used to. It's a different place. And, and this game humbles you. Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.